Hello and welcome to the Beyond Resilience Life podcast, a show about life adversity, how to overcome it and transform your life. This is your host, Dr. Lidiana Garcia, a licensed psychologist in Los Angeles, California. And even though my hope is to deliver information that can be helpful for you to overcome adversity and transform your life, it is not meant to be a substitute for being diagnosed and treated by a licensed mental health, medical, and related professional. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of the Beyond Resilience Life. This is your host, Lidiana Garcia. And today I have the honor and privilege to interview one person that I'll say her name very soon. But it's one of my favorite IG accounts. And especially right now, as I'm having my kid in my home, I am really going and needing a lot more of how to self-regulate, how to use all those different skills to help him as well. And her name is Katie Crosby. She has a master's in science and is an occupational therapist registered and licensed. Without any further ado, Katie, welcome and thank you for joining us. Hi, Lidiana. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, I am thrilled. I think right now this is one of the bonus episodes, but I might like bump it because there's a lot of parents <laughs> and we're going to talk about promoting child development and well-being through connection. And a lot of parents right now are being kind of pushed in a way to be with their kiddos at home. So this is a good time also to promote that, to promote well-being and connection. So I'm so excited. Okay, so let's start. So can you please tell us a little bit about you, the work that you do and your favorite part? Of your work? Yeah, so I am a pediatric occupational therapist, like you said. And what that means is really by training, I work with kids on their daily occupations. So this can be anything from play to relating to parents to relating to peers, going to the bathroom, eating meals, anything that a child does throughout their lives. And really the way that I work is play at the foundation. So we work on functional skills like those daily occupations, really through play and relationships and the interconnectedness of the caregiver interaction. And then with Thriving Littles, I work online as really an educator to help get this information out there, have it be more accessible and really dive more into a personal development realm, just based in my own kind of personal development and healing journey, and really exploring how the mix of that works together. So my favorite part about this work is helping to feel more grounded or helping others to feel more grounded, whether that is through the self-attunement or getting to know ourselves and what patterns are or aren't working, or attuning to others around us, whether that's kids or other relationships. And it's so cool to see when people develop insight or have these aha moments about things that are working or not in their lives that really show up every day and moment to moment and really guide our quality of life. Mm, yes, yes. Attunement is so important. And for the listeners, that might be like, what does that mean for you? What does attunement mean for you? Great question. So I think there's so many definitions out there. And for me, I really think about the capacity to pay attention to what is going on within us and in our environment and with others. And I see it more, you know, especially now thinking a more global scale that us attuning to ourselves really does impact our ability to show up in the world and participate in the world in a meaningful way. So it's this noticing and this consistent 
going back to the moment. So none of us are perfectly attuned. There's no such thing. But it's consistent intention or consistent practice of trying to be in our lives, where we are, with the people in front of us. And truly, I think, getting that life sense versus living in the future or the past or all these narratives that show up in our heads. Yep, they do show up in our heads, especially as we're recording this. We're in the middle of, well, or probably some people might say the beginning of the pandemic, (laughs) you know, so yeah. Yeah, Thank you for sharing that definition because I know a lot of people use that word and many people might be like, I don't know what that means and they might not feel comfortable asking. Can you tell us a little bit about child development from an OT, from an occupational therapy perspective? Yeah, so child development from an OT perspective, I really look at the sensory systems as the foundation of really everything that we do. So thinking about infancy, and there's actually eight sensory systems that we look at that are beyond the typical five senses that we learn in school. So I think it would be valuable to revise that early elementary education and really get to know ourselves. But when I think about the sensory systems, it's really the ability to learn our bodies in infancy and connection through attachment to caregivers is really sensory based. So you think about an infant that is being held by a caregiver or breastfeeding or that constant kind of connection between us as caregivers noticing a child's cues and responding to those and how so much of that, you know, the oral sensation or the touch or movement, just anytime you're bouncing or rocking or swinging an infant or any time that they are on the floor giving input to their body and their joints and really helping to develop the sense of self from the inside out and how that really sets the foundation for development as a whole. So we're looking at this constant interplay between using ourselves as a sensory tool. So you think about adults or not adults, humans in general, and how we really are all providing substantial, significant sensory input to each other at all times. So for an infant, it's figuring out what type of sensation, meaning our tone of voice or our body position or our visual gaze, what is helpful for that individual child in front of us in a way that will help them be most ready and available or regulated in the world. So by noticing if we're talking to an infant and they look away, We're trying to read those sensory cues as deeper than just thinking, you know, let's get their attention and bring them back to us. It's more thinking, oh, was that too much auditory sensation in their nervous system so that maybe I adjust my voice or they're overstimulated so they turned away. So it's helping to respond again and again in a way that helps to set the child's sense of security, sense of self, and really their ability to move up this pyramid to you know, developing the visual skills and developing fine motor skills or all these things that are more commonly heard about in OT. So my work is really looking at the foundation all throughout life. So this means if we have a four-year-old that's struggling with meltdowns, we're really going through and looking at that individual child in the moment and thinking what their nervous system or their body is doing and how we can respond in a way that promotes their ability to be regulated and organized in that moment. This is so important. And 
It's interesting because in my education, I have a PhD in counseling psychology. I took like two classes in undergrad about development. Then I took like one in my master's and one in my doctorate. So I took like four classes of child development. And this was not touched on, which is very sad and very frustrating. And we were taught from a testing perspective, from a psychologist perspective of the crystallized and then the other kind of intelligent that right now I can't remember the name, but it's more about in terms of movement and all this kind of stuff. And that was the two ones that are very important, you know, like motor development and then crystallized, which is more language and all those kind of things. But when my son started struggling with some kind of like sensory seeking, I was like, I was observing that and I'm like, let me go and get some evaluation and get some help. And when I went to the OT, she described this image of a tree that the roots were the sensory system. And if the sensory system is not properly developed and, you know, the roots are not deep enough and all that, then the trunk, which it would be the motor skills, would not be necessarily developed as well. There might be thin trunk and then the leaves might also be have some difficulties of developing. And I'm like, this is a beautiful way of describing it. And I think it's so important. That's why I was like, I cannot have a season on zero to five without having an OT because psychotherapy is really good and all that, but we're missing this piece. So I wanted to bring a little bit more about the importance of safety, how you mentioned in terms of well-being, like how are those kind of interconnected in a way? That's such a beautiful point. I love that tree analogy, just even thinking about how, you know, once we grow up, then we learn to shut down a lot of our body cues and sensations, you know, whether it's through societal expectations or family expectations or cultural expectations. And then we're so detached from our sensory systems and our needs. So it's funny how I feel like I've grown so much just right alongside kids that I'm working with trying to figure out what the heck is going on in my body moment to moment and how does that impact regulation so it's a lifelong journey yes yeah and we as a society give a lot of focus on our ability for language and and our operabilities of you know like frontal load problem solving rationalizing and all that but we keep forgetting that for those to be optimal we need to be grounded and feel safe in our bodies that safety is so big yes and how I think when we don't have the safety, we end up developing these almost maladaptive or like we do have the cognition or the logic or the problem solving, but we tend to use it, at least me personally, in a way that isn't super healthy. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. It goes more into like a threat response and reaction. Yes. Yeah. In terms of connection, because you work with caregivers and their kiddos, how do you define connection? I love this question. And again, so many different ideas. I think my personal definition, professional definition would be that it's connection is the unspoken, dynamic, energetic process within ourselves and then between individuals, underlying communities and the broader world that we live in. So I think about connection as the interdependence of all life systems. And why is it so important in terms of regulating for the kiddos? So I think going back to that safety, connection is really what drives development and drives that motivation and interest in the world. 
So by gaining this sensory development through the safety and security and the soothing in infancy, we develop the motivation to go out into the world and explore and get all these movement opportunities and learning opportunities that are available to us. And then really just setting the, the vitality or the energetic sense of what life is and having this, these emotions and intuition that guide us and help us to live who we truly are. Connection, if we don't experience that, there's something, somebody mirroring that back to us that's a safe enough, trusted enough other, it's trickier to figure it out along the way. Yeah, and I think that was the key, what you mentioned, the mirroring back to us. Because the kids are always looking for cues in their caregivers. Yeah. So for those that are new parents and are trying to figure out what do they need for their kiddos? I know there's only like the baby gyms and, you know, the books and all this stuff that we think is important. But at the end of the day, those are extra. Oh, that's such a good point. Yes. I think the, the things that I have suggested again and again, the more we work with kids and around kids and just I think that self-attunement or knowing ourselves, knowing our patterns and not getting swept up in all the shame and guilt that's out there and that we feel. Because if we're swept up in all that and not compassionate when we make mistakes or we feel like we're not doing a good job or, you know, we develop these avoidant strategies or get so overwhelmed we, it's hard to be available which makes sense because there's so much going on and it is overwhelming often but I think the first thing that I look at is how are we able to be compassionate for ourselves and understand ourselves and um, have a connection with ourselves first in a way that feels like we're growing together and able to be available that would be my first first thing and then Second, I look at the sensory and the body attention or attunement again. So how are we attuning to a child's experience moment to moment and guiding that process and setting up experiences or interaction that lights them up? You know, you think about sparkly-eyed moments that feel good. And do we know what those are for kids? Do we know that what brings out that light in them, that motivation inherently? And then three, shared experiences and really seeing kids, hearing kids, seeing ourselves, hearing ourselves first, and then bringing our own truth or interests to the table in order to enrich their experience. Mm, yeah. And I'm also thinking about the parents that when they have kiddos, their trauma comes up and they're getting, I don't like using necessarily the word triggered from that negative, but their, their trauma responses are, are kind of like coming up, perhaps because they struggle when they were infants and when they were children, their relationship with their parents. So any recommendations for those parents to come back and start applying those things for themselves of self-compassion and that? Such an important note, just that I think I always use a disclaimer when working with any caregivers that is, if you feel like you're having that big body reaction when triggered, you mentioned, or emotionally being just being flooded or having this, like, it's like our sensations in our body are so much that we can't manage them. So that's when we get reactive and we get impulsive and we act outside of our values and we yell a little bit louder. 
than we wanted to, or maybe grab them harder than we expected, or are doing these things that really feel like are out of control. I think it's so individual, but I think my number one thing is to really take that seriously and try to find support, even if it's sharing what happened with a friend or a trusted enough person in your life, because it's so relational. And I think our relational experiences can show up again and again. I just read this, you know, been hearing this quote that kids at every stage of life will bring up emotional responses that we had that are unprocessed or unresolved or didn't make sense. So they keep showing up all throughout our lives because they are stored in our body and our limbic system or a memory and emotional centers. So then it's very real sensation and emotion, but when it's showing up, it really, we think it has something to do with the child and it has, it's about them, but it really again and again, which is, you know, humble pie a lot of the time, but it goes back to our own experiences and how our trauma, like you mentioned, or unresolved emotion is showing up, trying to be heard or trying to integrate. So I feel so much compassion for that because it's people that have the best intentions and we're trying so hard and learning all these things and reading all these books. And then in the moment, that is where all the work shows up. And if it feels powerless or out of control, to me, that's really this flooding of the nervous system that often needs relational support or connection in some way to heal and work through that. Yes. And it can be really hard because for the listeners, one way that I noticed for me, because a lot of it is like not necessarily autobiographical memory or narrative memory that you can pinpoint like, oh, this happened, especially infant scenes before you develop that sense of narrative memory. But for me, it felt like I wanted to go away, like I wanted to escape, which it was the fleeing response. It was like, this is too much. I need to get out kind of mode. But then I realized I can't because I have to stay. Somebody has to keep taking care of the kiddo. And the more that that kept happening, the more I kept realizing, oh, there's something about this in here. And that's when I sought the somatic therapy and help to get myself a little bit more in my body so that way I can connect better. And I'm saying this because a lot of people might be like, oh, but you're a psychologist or Katie, you know, you're an occupational therapist and blah, blah, blah. But we're human beings too. We all have our stories and we all have our situations. Yeah, that it's so like attuned that you notice that. And I think too, you know, I say all the time, we teach what we need the most. And I, (laughs) it's like, I was having rage, like the fight response was so real and scary and brought so much shame because it's like, here I am learning all these things. And then in the moment, I felt like I had no tools and it just kept showing up. And even just labeling that, like, oh, this is a fight response. This does make sense. This is you know, my body trying to protect or my body trying to do something that's helpful. Um, it's been so eye-opening again and again and so much in that. Yes. Yeah. And it's like finding it out, naming it and not necessarily staying and dwelling about the shame and all that, because that's not going to help either. You know, it's just naming it so that way you know what to do what next. Mm-hmm. In terms of helping parents promote connection with their children during that zero to five stage, what are some of the tools or skills or recommendations you have for parents that are listening to this and maybe they have their kiddos at home? Ways, you know, like simple ways that they can increase this connection. So I think that 
the journey, it's always tough to identify just what will promote for everybody, as you know, because we're all so different and our nervous systems or our bodies are as unique as a fingerprint. So not to, you know, disclaimer, not to overgeneralize or I really think me knowing what's best for somebody is I learn more and more that as much as I would like to think I do know what's best, I really have no idea. So it's shining this light on what may be helpful or or suggesting something. So that's a little disclaimer before I talk through this. But I think that the number one thing, and again, I go back to it again and again, but is we can't promote connection with kids if we aren't aware of our own patterns. It's really tough. And we'll feel like we're spinning our wheels and there's all these different problems going on. And if we aren't aware or have some type of insight about ourselves, then it's really tricky to do. But that said, I think it absolutely can be a parallel process between what a child needs in the moment and helping to identify our own needs and that dynamic process that's happening with, are we able to notice when a child's upset and feel how overwhelming it is to us in the moment or notice what our emotions need or what the sensations need. So one thing I see a lot is the intention to accept emotion, but then when we see it and it's so intense, we want to fix it or we want to soothe it right away, go back to a more infantile way of connecting with them because we are afraid that they won't be okay. We're afraid that they won't be able to regulate without us. So just that awareness and the intention, and again, nobody's perfect. It will never be that we're doing the perfect thing moment to moment because everything changes and we're all humans and individuals. But the number one thing I would say is just having that openness to recognize what it is that feels overwhelming or flooding to us. And really, I think beyond that, it's those shared experiences of knowing what lights a child up. So going back to that what really gives them a special gleam in their eye or when do we feel best interacting with them? When do we feel joyful? Because that's when the body and the mind are really open to change and growth and the shared experiences. And we want those memories. So our emotional memories are really what we will be defined by for life. So many of us, I think, have few emotional memories from childhood or the memories that we do have are scary or don't feel like they're memories that we want to bring into our life right now. So if we can get those positive shared experiences and build up the body with those and find some meaning, even when things are tough and uncertain and unpredictable, it's having that awareness that uncertainty will always be there and the unpredictability will always be there, but how do we find meaning in today? with who this child is in front of us today versus getting swept up in who we want them to be or who we want ourselves to be or what we're doing tomorrow or next week. So again, it goes back to that foundational safety. And I think it's really tough to play and find joy if we're not feeling safe and secure. But those are the two biggest places that I would start with promoting connection in the early years. Yeah. And in terms of play, even when you start interacting with families what kind of games or I know this is like again the caveat of not overgeneralizing but what are some of the games that are you go to to kind of see if you can promote that connection so one book that I love and I have a 
full book list on my website for it. So I suggest that anyone interested, check that out to see what resonates for you specifically. But a book that I recommend again and again is called Attachment Play by Alifa Solter. And it has a lot of concrete play ideas and ways to play when you're not sure or you didn't play growing up. That wasn't a thing, maybe. Or there's this fear about what's going on in a child's life and how to navigate. So often play is the number one thing that I suggest. And this isn't a bigger moment that you feel is traumatic. Definitely seek professional support. This book or resources has a lot of specific concrete ways to play. So if a new sibling is being born or if there's something like a medical procedure that a child is hung up on, there's ways to play through that. And there's also just guidelines for play. So thinking about anytime you're laughing, it's probably helpful. Or maybe not tickle a child unless they ask because it can be this complex pain pleasure sensation. So don't do that unless they ask or these really simple, concrete, practical things to do. And really, Hand in Hand Parenting is another website that has a lot of concrete play ideas. So I do a lot of games on a couch. You can take off cushions, put them on the floor, jumping, crashing. One of my favorite ones is you just have an adult on the couch, like a, you can be a rock, or you could be a bear, or you could be Elsa on the top of a mountain, whatever the child's interested in try to do something that would be exciting to them. And then they try to push the adult off the couch onto pillows or something in a safe way. But it's these interactive, simple games. And there's so many different variations that you can play that. So then, you know, maybe it's next time we push the child off and we try to be our strongest person or do we play out a wide range of emotion? Is it that we're fun? Is it that we're silly? Is it that It's a great space to play angry or frustrated or competitive and let them see us in a playful way being angry because that will help them when we're angry in real life, that will help them to recognize that emotions don't have to be scary or a huge threat. It's part of being human and we will get angry and frustrated. So I think I see a lot of stuff out there wanting adults to be this super calm, fluid, easygoing person, but I just think I struggle with that because I think it is important for kids to see our authenticity in a safe way that we're not harming them, of course, but play is a good way to start with that and helping to rewire our patterns that anytime somebody's frustrated or angry, it's a huge threat to the relationship. So I love these resources because it's all about building that safety, no matter what the emotions are. So We want to guide behaviors and definitely not all behaviors are okay, but we want emotions to be felt and released versus stuck in the body like so many of us have. This is so, so important. I hope as you're listening to this episode, this is one of like the takeaways because yes, there's this message out there that we have to be poised and we have to hold everything and if, you know, because then we're scaring the kids, but I think it's so important that authenticity and it's something that for me in my parenting journey, I felt that my mom was that kind of poise and holding things inside. And then I had that image of this perfectionist mom. So that was another struggle that I had. And I mean, she was doing what she probably got modeled by her mom as well, by my grandma. And it's been like, you know, generations of generations of patterns of women holding. And that, you know, that's another topic of women holding, you know, and not being allowed to experience 
their feelings. But it's something like for me, it's so important because I want my child and my upcoming, you know, soon to be child to know that I'm not a perfect human being. And then the repair part, and that's the piece that I like to emphasize a lot with, with parents and with anybody that that repair part is so important. In terms of repair, what do you suggest? What are your go-tos? That's such a, the repair is, I think, one of the things I talk about most with families because it really is that rupture repair that builds strong relationships. So we think that it's these perfect, no conflict relationships, and that's good. You know, we have these judgments that that's good and that's what we strive for. And that really isn't true. It's the relationships that we can be authentic and say like, hey, I didn't like that. Let's talk about it. Or I messed up. I sucked in that moment. Like, let's figure this out together. How did that make you feel? Or I have a story that you feel this way. You're avoiding me or you're angry or upset with me. Is that true? So this modeling, like you're saying, it makes me think of modeling this imperfection that we're all fallible humans. We all mess up. So why are we pretending to be these perfect poised people that really, you know, it's like everything's swirling inside and kids sense that energy. They sense it. Even if we're saying all the right things, right? Again, quote, judgment and doing all the right things. They sense that energy and the sensations within us in our nervous system, in our body. So when they can experience and hear what we're thinking, it's, it's so freeing and liberating. And for repair, I think about often revisiting outside of the moment when people are calm and cool or collected in some way, or as soon as possible after it happens and you feel ready. Just saying earlier when I yelled at you in the kitchen, I was, you know, I, you can explain some of your experience or what was happening. You know, I didn't sleep well last night or I was tired. And this might be really depending on the child. So this is a lot of language. So maybe this is an older child and it would vary based on the age or the developmental age, the developmental capacities. But I often will draw a picture of what happened and say, like, I, here's, you know, here's me, here's you. I, my voice was loud. Your face was like this or like, or sad, or I wonder what your face should look like. Kind of making this collaborative process about what happened, because what we're doing is really setting the idea that it doesn't have to do with them and it's not their fault because kids in their egocentric mind will make up stories. And we all do this. We have stories that things are our fault even if it's a body subconscious level. So even if we don't recognize that it's there, likely anytime our parents were arguing or fighting or yelling at us as kids, we were internalizing these stories, these false stories, that it was our fault, or if we were better, it wouldn't have happened, or if we could have you know, behaved differently, it would have been okay, that we're a burden, or we were too much to handle, or we're too sensitive, or we're too negative. So all these stories that are really stored in our body are because we didn't have that repair or a way to make sense of it by our caregivers who really shape the meaning behind the why. So when I think about repair, it's really about helping kids to know that it is all about us in the moment. It was because 
I didn't have the resources or I didn't have the tools or I didn't have the energy in that moment to behave in a way that I would like to and that I'm working on it and it's not their fault. I think I am clear if I'm feeling frustrated in the moment, I would say I'm getting frustrated because I asked you to do this a few times and like I, I feel unheard. I will say that, but it's a tricky balance of knowing when we don't want to put that burden on the kids that they feel responsible for us or they feel responsible for our emotions. It's an opportunity to separate that we are responsible for our own emotions and they can't, they don't hold the power to make us mad or to make us sad. It's this nice repair or separating of all the stories in their mind that they think they have that power, which is too much for little kids. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that piece of the egocentric aspect of childhood because a lot of parents might not necessarily know this. And this is key because kids tend to interpret things as their own fault. And it's, yes, so important. I know we're almost at the end, but I'm like, I want to ask this question because I'm also kind of learning all this different other sensory. And I know some people say nine, some people say eight, it's like this back and forth in the field. But in general, like the sensory hygiene aspect to kind of help us. But can you talk a little bit about ways that each one of us can explore those different sensory besides the five basics that could help us regulate? Yes. So my suggestion would be to, there's some great websites out there. I have on my YouTube channel, I have a sensory processing video that goes through each of the sensory systems. And the ones that aren't talked about as much are the movement sense. So vestibular sense, which is really the change in head positioning throughout the day. So it's our balance, it's our coordination, it's it's the capacity of our body to know where our head and body is kind of anchored in an organizing way. So if you think about, for example, this is why yoga is so powerful for so many, because as we grow, our vestibular system actually gets less able to adapt to all the movement or changes, which really impacts our emotional stability. So you think about maybe as kids, you loved roller coasters, and now it makes you want to throw up or makes you nervous, or it's actually these changes in our body that are happening and making it tougher for our bodies to organize in the moment around a variety variety of sensations. So for kids, that's really looking at what intensity, duration, and frequency the sensation is helpful to them or not. So some kids love intense rocking or bouncing or being thrown in the air and it's the best moment of their lives, don't like it, or are really nervous to even climb up the stairs and go down a slide because their body is having a harder time adapting. So the ideas can really vary, but it's really watching each child and their individual cues and determining what type of movement is helpful. What type of movement do they shy away from? When do they need an adult to go up the stairs and down the slide with them in a way that boosts their resources? So we have the capacity to boost emotionally and sensorially their resources by providing another sense, which is proprioception. So proprioception is a sense of our body and our joints and our ability to recognize where we are in space. 
And do you think about an adult going down a slide with a child, maybe we're holding them firmly, or we have positive emotions that are connecting and motivating. So emotions and sensation are directly related. So if we're giving them that firm pressure, we're giving them body input, a sense of where their body is, that helps a sensitive child to organize the vestibular in a way that will make going down the slide a more positive experience versus one that threatens their nervous system. So those are two really big sensory systems, two of the most foundational that I work with as an OT that really impact every moment of our day, whether we know it. So it controls our posture and our ability to activate and know how much to activate different muscle groups against gravity. And with kids, it's looking at things like what helps them, even having a hand on their back or going to squat next to them. If they're nervous to talk with somebody, I find that if you can anchor their body in space and give some of that proprioceptive feedback, a lot of my kids then can listen. They can open up resources for auditory because they feel like we're on their side. They feel grounded in space. They have somebody there that is bigger, wiser, kinder, stronger to guide them through these vulnerabilities around their sensory systems in a way that, again, enables them to be ready and available for the world. Yeah. Thank you for that. And this is a space, I guess, that the weighted blanket and the weighted kind of vest and stuff that are there that now people are even buying. Target sells like weighted blanket for kids with cartoons, characters on it and stuff like that. It's so great. I'm so glad it's more accessible and mainstream. And those th- little trivial seeming things can have big impacts. Yes. Yes. And as we're bounding, getting at the end, I know you mentioned the hands and hands the website, and there was a book, was it Attachment Parenting? Attachment Play. Play. <laughs> That's why I was like, it does not play. Okay, Attachment Play. Any other resource that are, I know you have, and I'm also going to add this in the show notes, your sensory processing or your YouTube page and your website for the resources of the books. Any other kind of that is popping up in your mind right now? Any other? So those are some great ones. I think the ones that really come to mind that guide my practice are Stanley Greenspan. So he, and all of the books that he has written, some of them are really powerful. The Challenging Child, The Secure Child, The Learning Tree. There's lots of good ones out there that are really all about these foundational elements of development and how to use our relationship and interaction to guide those. And then I really have benefited a lot from recommending Dan Siegel's work and all of the consciousness elements of that. So consciousness, consciousness of adults and how it impacts kids' development and how attachment is really the root of all of that. So Vanessa LaPointe also is another, just lately she has written a couple of books that are amazing and has lots of good resources out there, kind of the interchange between consciousness, attachment, development, and how they all fit together. So Those are some to start, but definitely recommend checking out the book list and seeing what speaks to you at this time, at this moment in your life and what you need. Yeah. Thank you so much, Katie. And I mean, I, my mind is like, and I know I use the word popping, which is, has a movement inside that can speak a lot about my own nervous system. But and like, I have all these ideas of places, but I know, you know, to end this interview in particular, where can people find you and what are, let's start there. Where can people find you? Yes, well, I'm so honored, Lidiana, to be on your podcast and speaking with your community. So thank you for having me. 
and I would love to stay in touch in any way possible. So people can find me. My website is www.thrivinglittles.com. On Instagram, which is really a main place where I interact or engage, that's at Thriving Littles. And then if you would like to reach me, I'm not always the quickest with direct messages, and that's an understatement of the year. So email hello at thrivinglittles.com. And I also have a YouTube and a Facebook page. So check it out there. And I would love to hear from you. Yeah. And any services that you're providing right now online or anything that's upcoming for you? So right now I'm working on a meltdowns course as well as a membership program. So it's feeling big. It's really my first online stuff that I put out there. So I'm working through some of that aforementioned shame and guilt and all that that comes up in moments like this. So I'm working on an online course, hopefully releasing it soon, and then a membership program, which is really just an idea community coming together to talk through a structured process in some way, or just semi-structured around all of this information. So often people ask, how do I get started or what do I actually do? And the membership circle idea is really to address some of those questions, to put some type of structure around this very out there process in many ways. Yeah, this is so important because even for me, like, again, I'm not a zero to five specialist, but I, I'm in a way, I, I specialize as a child and adolescent psychologist and still interacting and playing basic things with my little one has been like, oh, can you grow up so we can play like board games? You know, it's like this part of simple, what do you play with? Because a lot of us did not have that with our parents necessarily. Mm-hmm. And you might be surprised how many clients, adult clients that I work that they, because of their circumstances, they had to grow up and they couldn't even play. So parents, a lot of them are clueless about ways of interacting or they think they need to buy X, Y, and C. And sometimes it's just simple as you were saying, the playing in the couch. So yeah. Well, thank you so much. I'm so looking forward for those services, the membership and the courses and for everything that you do. And for all the listeners, I strongly recommend following Thriving Littles. And it's one of my favorite accounts. It always gets a lot of information. You're always reading so many books and adding much more information. So, and the piece that I like the most is the authenticity that you bring into it. And it's making it less shameful or less, this is what you need to do. I feel like so many parenting theories out there or whatever, they're so shameful, you know, in many ways, I feel like, yeah, many of them can be like, this is what you have to do with the kids. And you tend to be more of like, this is what recommended, but at the same time, you know, also see yourself. I guess I see that through your messaging and, and I really appreciate that. Well, I'm so glad that warms my soul because I've had to learn that again and again, just myself and trusting our intuition and getting back to what really matters to us. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you so much. I'm so happy that we were able to get this and Thank you for all the listeners and looking forward to hear if you have any questions, you can send me and I can connect you or you can just, I would strongly suggest just reaching out directly to Katie via her different pages. And I'm going to put this all in the show notes. So any last thoughts, Katie, before we end the show or not? Just that I'm feeling with everybody in this crazy uncertain time and hopefully sending love through our podcast and we'll get through this like we do everything else and together. Yes, we'll. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Beyond Resilience Life podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. If you like this episode, please make sure to review it and comment on it and share it with your friends and family. Until next time.